0: two, three. Hello, my name is Antoinette and I am delighted to be here today with Amanda Thompson, CEO and founder of Naughty Wines. I will allow Amanda to do the explanation as to what Naughty is, but before she gets started, I just want to say what a rock star Amanda is. This is a woman who has traveled the world and has managed to not only launch a wine brand, but also be the face of non-alcoholic wine for South African wines. Amanda, please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you're doing over there.
1: You're very kind. Thank you so much for having me. As you said, Amanda Thompson, um, CEO and founder of Naughty, the world's first premium non-alcoholic wine brand. Um, I guess that's pertinent to the conversation. Um, We were the first to recognize that huge gaping hole in the market for discerning wine lovers as to what to drink when we
0: weren't drinking, essentially. Exactly right. And not only did you choose to to launch a non-alcoholic brand to reach that market, but you did it in a very particular way. Can you tell us a little bit about the B Corp that you chose to go with? Of course.
1: Um, For those of you who don't know what a B Corp certified business is, it's essentially saying you will put purpose alongside profit. Now, I guess for the modern consumer, that sounds like a very natural fit, But let's just think about what goes on behind businesses, behind closed doors, when people aren't looking. And I guess then we get a sense of of why B-Core certification is so important. Um, It goes really into as much detail as we have in our articles for our shareholders. So if you're a business that has investors, we've got in our articles saying that we won't just make decisions based on chasing the money, chasing the profit, we will also consider ethics So that's really a case of saying as a business, you're setting out to do the right thing when no one's looking, not just when they are. It's obviously a work in progress. Rome wasn't built in a day, so no one's expecting us to be perfect but it does put a lot of weight on my narrow shoulders as the CEO and founder of a non-alcoholic wine brand that's global to really work each year to try to be better, which is essentially what we're trying to do. Patagonia in America, I guess, is the most famous of the B brands. And that idea was all about the encouragement of not buying new jackets, for example, but taking your existing Patagonia jacket and seeing if it can be mended or seeing if they can recycle your existing one, or just really trying to be present in that way in in garments, I suppose, in the circular economy. So for us, The first thing we had to crack when we got our B Corps certification, for example, on a a practical level, was packaging. Um, The wine business has historically been drowning in non-recycled plastic, for example. So we vowed um, in the UK to give up plastic right in the beginning. And I had no idea how hard that would be because moving bottles around, moving glass around, everybody's relied on plastic. And so that was our first challenge to really work with Uh, biodegradable compostable
0: packaging for an example and transparency doesn't stop there uh, with your venture with B Corp it's also in the actual wine so we're talking not only organic uh, not only vegan but also halal talk about uh, what led you to choose to go in those directions Well, that was interesting.
1: I mean, I've always been, even when I had a champagne, because I came through the fine wine business. um, I trained in fine wine, actually. And I think that that training and my launch originally of a Grand Cru champagne with a top maker is ironically pertinent to my journey in that I've tried to achieve a a similar balance with non-alcoholic wine as I did with fine wine and champagne. Um, I think that... That idea of of looking behind the supply chain and who is doing what and what kind of transparency you can achieve in the winemaking. So, for example, we're not using animal products in filtration, so therefore that leads us to be either a vehicle um, a vegan certified brand in the case of our European production or a vegan friendly brand in the case of South Africa. For those of you who know the South African wine business. Certifications are very hard to come by, so we say vegan friendly, but we we say, we clarify, we're not using animal products in filtration. Um, with organics, again, very tricky uh, to achieve that in South Africa, but our sparklings um, made in Europe are organic certified grapes that we're using. And you touched on that halal certification. That's a very challenging one, but we got it for our organic sparklings. That means that there's zero alcohol, not even trace in there. And therefore really we got that certification for that full inclusive drinking piece. So for people who aren't drinking for religious reasons, they can still enjoy our sparkling wines. So it was really just striving to be as open and transparent as we could about what was in the bottle. Um, interestingly just to hark back to my career in champagne and fine wine I think I was the first person in the world to start to talk about sugar being added to wine um, somewhat surprisingly lots of people have wanted to keep that behind closed doors and I just wanted to be really open and honest about sugar that was added to champagne and sparkling wine um, I think that less scrupulous producers I don't know if that's a fair term to to use but perhaps more mass market producers didn't normally want to talk about it um and i guess i was a journalist um by trade i I suppose once a journalist always a journalist you're always searching um for as much truth as possible that said a caveat to that is um the global wine market is tricky because you will have different laws legislation demands um that each market requires. So there is a lot of gray area in the industry that I'm very aware that we have to work around.
0: Yes, it's quite interesting. I understand that England uh, or the UK is rewriting the definition of what wine is to include lower alcohol wine in the definition. So it'll be interesting to see when non-alcoholic wines fall in that, that new category. Um, so you you touched on the lower sugar um, in in the wines, but this also means uh, there are other things because you're not just a one trick pony. So you have low sugar, you also have low calories, you have low sulfite content. Um, what what does that all mean for the wine? Is the wine losing flavor because I don't think it, it is if it's winning so many awards.
1: It's an interesting one. I mean. I've set out with my portfolio of naughty, non-alcoholic wines to really just achieve the best possible liquid I can. Again, harking back to my days with with champagne, um, it was the same process with my maker. I I don't really see a difference. Where the difference is great is the challenge was vast. Um, We're living in a world where we have so many thousands of wonderful, wonderful winemakers around the world. I see great winemaking as art, actually, I always did. Um, and we, it really wasn't the same case when I was looking for makers to work with in de wine, and therein lay the first challenge, I suppose. Um, and then to some degree, we had to rip up the rule book, um, and what I mean by that is, I feel like it was really necessary for me to have all the training and understanding about conventional winemaker, but equally my fixation on sort of certain grapes that I might have had. For example, I was... An obsessive burgundy girl and um, red burgundy, Pinot Noir, in my humble opinion, at the moment, isn't dealkalizing terribly well. It's a very delicate grape to deal with um, in the space, anyway, when you're making alcoholic wine. And so you've got a further challenge to end up with a very thin liquid that's not super expressive on the dealkalized side. That said, there's a Californian maker whose wine I'm excited to try. So she may have been able to crack that. I don't know yet. But at the moment, we're just exploring with all kinds of grapes. And what I set out to do was just say I will be open-minded about my grapes and I will see how the maker and I can produce the best liquid that's the best possible quality while really just seeing what we can do from a recipe point of view, I suppose, if that makes any sense. And what I was always setting out to achieve was never to replicate my favourite fine wine It was really to create something that could comfortably sit alongside and and everywhere I go around the world now when I'm in lovely restaurants, bars, bars, hotels. It gives me such pleasure um, to see that happening in real time, in real life, in real beautiful upscale restaurants and bars. And it's just that inclusive experience where you're not jarring from one beautiful glass of champagne shifting to my non-alcoholic sparkling or one lovely glass of your favorite red onto naughty rouge. And that was really what I was setting out to achieve. Inclusive balanced drinking, while always thinking we would be a a wine brand that happened to be non-alcoholic. And I think that's where my approach perhaps has been different from a lot of people flooding the market now, is I always, visionary piece, wanted to fit myself into the traditional wine market, which goes back to that point of when lots of people jump up and down and say, oh, you know, you want to kill the wine business. In fact, it's the opposite. I want to bring Naughty in to them in business for balance. And I think that's why we're achieving success along the way.
0: A lot of massive success, global success. Uh, Everywhere I look uh, online, there's another accolade and another applause going out to Naughty Wine. You had a beautiful phrase there, inclusive balance. And that is in the wine, yes, but it's also in everything you seem to touch with the company itself. Um, You also are choosing to do two uh, things with the wines that are very, very specific. And it really hops back to your training with uh, traditional winemaking and your experience. And those two things are, number one, dry farming. And number two, the lees aging for complexity. These two elements may be uh, the, the golden key to... Part of the story as to why your wines are just so wonderful. Can you tell us? Is it difficult to source dry farm wine uh, wine grapes? Yeah, I think it's all difficult. <laughs> it's, I
1: mean, it's so funny, isn't it? There's so much nuance because lots of times when I'm asked, "How do you make good non-alcoholic wine?" I'm like, "You want one sentence? You want a year's conversation? I mean, there's so much nuance, isn't there?" which goes back to my idea that I've always respected great winemakers as artists. And, and just to be clear, um, for anyone who doesn't understand how, how my model works, I respect the maker and I work with the maker on the recipe, exactly like I did when I had a champagne. And I think you've touched on a couple of bits um, that that are adding to why our stills are successful, those South African dry farm vines, um, I think are really key. And then playing around with, with aging and lease and oak, in exactly the same way you would in the conventional wine business. And that's where I'm really fascinated with a lot of those crossover opportunities, really. And actually, on that note, we're doing, you know, you've been very kind and and people are often kind about my wines. Um, I don't feel like wine is something that stands still. I feel like we're all so new to the table here. I always want to do better. So, we're looking at the moment to see if we can produce perhaps next year an even more complex red. You know, so we're always trying to innovate and push forward. But what I really wanted to do, at least for starters, was put a flag in the sand and create a a really clear, beautiful, elegant portfolio, which is what I hope I have done now, which is to have the the two sparklings, the alternatives to the Brut and the Rosé Champagne, and then the three stills, Naughty Rouge, Naughty, Naughty Rosé, and uh, Naughty Blanc, which just really, you know, put out that idea that we have got a bottle that should sit comfortably for anybody at a traditional wine drinking occasion. Um, but then behind the scenes, we're always seeing to push forward as to what we can do um, that might be exciting uh, regarding next level, I guess.
0: And as we're entering into the holiday season here in America, we're pushing on to Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. But then globally, we're we're approaching uh, Christmas uh, and and other holidays associated. So what would you recommend uh, for us to open other than all of the bottles? Naturally, we should have one of each on the table. Uh, But with a traditional sort of Christmas dinner, uh, how would you approach the pairings there?
1: That's a really good question. And what I always say initially is, I think anyone's favorite pairing is the perfect pairing. I, I remember I've, I've traded fine wine, I've done all my conventional pairings, and then often I hear people who just fall in love with a bottle with something that I was really outside the box, which I think is wonderful. But actually our wines are super easy to pair because it's really a case of pairing with, with whatever you would be pairing the conventional alcoholic counterpart with, I guess. But what Naughty does during the holiday season, I think, is particularly special because whether we're entertaining or being entertained, either which way, we need some balance there. I think even those of us in the world who, who really you know, choose to drink a little harder than others recognize that we're not going to remain at peak freshness, at peak wellness in our lives if we don't have the odd day off off from time to time or integrate that kind of idea of balanced drinking, which I adopt, which is if I was out with you this evening and we were lucky enough to be offered a glass of a a really delicious Brut nature champagne and I saw a really lovely one on the menu or I was being offered that by a host, I would probably take a glass And then if Naughty was being brought alongside, I would then move on to Naughty. So where I think we can really play in this wonderful holiday season space is that piece of inclusive drinking. And it gives me the opportunity, actually, to perhaps share what's really shocked us or shocks other people, I guess, because we're used to it now, is that most of our clients are still drinkers, they're still wine lovers, and they're actually using Naughty for balance. The non-drinkers found us really early. I mean, we were very lucky. Anyone who gave up drinking for whatever reason around the world, I'd be shocked if they didn't know my brand by now and have it as their mainstay. But what's really interesting for us is that visionary piece of actually bringing all of the traditional wine drinkers on board and saying, we are here for you, for you to move in and out of drinking your favourite alcoholic wines with non-alcoholic. And there is nothing better than starting the day with a naughty mimosa, for example. We have one client who does that every Monday morning. And I was like... That could really shift anyone's week. It's on my to-do list and I haven't done it yet. Imagine if this morning, on a Monday morning, if I'm speaking to you, you know, we've started the day with a naughty mimosa. So just a little, you know, half a glass of naughty sparkling chardonnay, half a glass of orange juice, peach puree, whatever your favorite fruit is. I mean, that's got to elevate your day, right? So, so I just think we've got this wonderful opportunity here. And, and, and luckily, a lot of people around the world are embracing it.
0: Elevate the day and elevate the week. What a, what a great start that would be. Uh, Amanda, thank you so much for your time. This has been one of the most exciting uh, interviews uh, that we've had here. You are a comprehensive ball of energy, enthusiasm, passion, and most of all, ideas. And uh, the wine industry needs a lot more ideas all the time coming in. So thank you so much for your contribution to the trade as a whole. and uh, perhaps. Uh, Offline, uh, I can keep following you on LinkedIn to see where the non-alcoholic industry ends up in the next five or 10 years. It's the most exciting part of the sector and I can't wait to keep uh, tabs on you and uh, the company as a whole. Before we say goodbye, is there anything you'd like to share with the listeners? Well, I would like to
1: throw it back to you and say you're putting a spotlight on this. I'm hugely grateful, as are all the other winemakers I know. Um, You're your own trailblazer. So when I was invited on, I was really honoured. And also just to say, um, I really wanted to share, if anyone wants to follow us on social media, it's Naughty AF, and that's with an O, so N O U G H. and then AF, which my American friends stands for alcohol-free. And also the website uh, is the same. It's just naughtyaf.com and that's naughty with an O. You can contact us that way. We're a really... A, a brand that loves to talk back, so you can get to me very easily and talk to me personally. Um, you can subscribe. Um, we're sold in many places around the world, and I really look forward to to next steps building the brand with you. So, thanks again, Antoinette, for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you, and thanks for that clarification. All the Americans here will appreciate it, and we wish you a lovely uh, rest of your week, Amanda. Thank you so much.